This past Monday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is on President Trump's coronavirus task force, said something that caught my attention. In response to a question that he was asked, he said, the world may never go back to what is considered normal before the coronavirus. In his mind, this virus has so changed things that regardless of what happens, things can never go back to the way they were. They can never go back to normal. Now, whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. But what I do know is if the resurrection is true and you experience the power of the resurrection in your life, it will change everything. You will never be able to go back to normal your life before encountering the resurrected Christ. That's how powerful the resurrection is. I, I want you to listen. If the resurrection is true, it proves that Jesus is who He said He was and He did what He said He was going to do. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come into the Father except through Him. If the resurrection is true, then we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If the resurrection is true, then one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is God and there is nothing more important than giving your heart and your life to Him. If the resurrection is true, then, then serving Jesus is more important than making money, playing sports, having fun, or anything else in life. If the resurrection is true and you experience the power of the resurrection, it changes everything in your life. It's going to change your priorities and it's going to change your purpose in life. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything. But if the resurrection isn't true, then let's quit wasting our time. Let's shut off our TVs and our computers right now. Let's live our lives like everyone else. Let's pursue money and pleasure and fame because tomorrow or the next day, we will die and that will be the end. But listen, the resurrection is true. And nothing is more important than giving our lives to the one who defeated sin and death for us. The book of Acts and history itself records how the resurrection so changed a group of fearful disciples that they took the message of Jesus' death and resurrection into a hostile world, a world filled with opposition and persecution. And in spite of all of that, they changed the world the whole time proclaiming Jesus is alive. Now, how did they do it? They encountered the resurrected Lord and they experienced His resurrection power in their lives. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, in front of you, then I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew 28 this morning. And I want to share with you two things that change when we encounter the resurrected Lord. And my prayer is this Easter will not be just like every other Easter before. My prayer is that e this Easter you will experience change like never before. Now Jesus' disciples had, had just experienced a rough several days. They had seen Judas, one of their own, betray Jesus. They were with Jesus when he was arrested by an angry mob led by the temple guards. They had seen Jesus accused of blasphemy 
by the high priest in the Sanhedrin. They had seen him condemned to die on a cross by Pilate. And then they saw him beaten without mercy and nailed to that cross. And then they saw him die. And they saw him buried in a borrowed tomb. And all that happened on Thursday night and Friday. And on Saturday, the Sabbath, I imagine that the disciples were huddled together in fear of what would happen next. But then Sunday came. Mary Magdalene and some other women had prepared some spices and ointments to anoint Jesus' body for burial. But when they got there, an earthquake had occurred, and the stone that was covering the tomb had been rolled aside. Sitting on the stone was an angel. His face was shining like bright light, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards that were guarding the tomb were paralyzed with fear. But I want you to listen to what happens next, beginning in verse 5. It says, Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. Now don't miss this. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them, greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Don't miss this. Twice. These women were told, don't be afraid. First the angel told them, and then Jesus told them. For the last several weeks, we've been focusing on that Bible command, do not be afraid. Let me remind you that that we are told, fear not, don't be afraid, over and over again in Scripture. The Apostle Paul said, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So if God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, that means that our fears are either the result of the enemy's attack, the concerns of this world, or our uncontrolled flesh. Because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. But when Mary Magdalene and the other women saw the tomb and the angel, the Bible says that they were terrified. They were overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Jesus is alive, just like he said. You see, even though Jesus had told them time after time that he would be crucified and that he would rise from the dead, these women and the rest of the disciples didn't really believe him or they just didn't understand him. But this time, something happened. Notice what it says next. They were very frightened, but they were also filled with great joy. Their fear was still there, but they had something else as well. They had great joy. They still had fear, but they also had great, mega joy. I think there is a lot of us who are believers today who find ourselves right there as we walk in this world. We do have the joy, 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 joy down in our hearts. And that joy 
puts a a smile on our face. That joy puts a, a peace in our hearts. But we also have those lingering fears, those deep down fears living inside of us next to our joy. So look what happens next. On their way to tell the disciples, they see Jesus face to face. And they fall down at his feet and they worship him. And notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Jesus is telling them one more time, don't give in to your fears. You don't have to be afraid. I have overcome every enemy you will ever face. There is no reason to fear. Now what is it you fear? Here's what I know. If you belong to the human race, and you do, one of the top fears that we all have is the fear of death. Even though we may say we don't, and even though it may not always be on our mind, we all have a fear of death and what happens next. I've been talking for the last couple of weeks about my wife's fear of turbulence, and so I might as well say something again today. My wife's fear of turbulence isn't really a fear of turbulence. It's a fear of what she believes the turbulence can cause. And that is the plane to crash and then our subsequent death. Now what about today in the coronavirus? I don't think most of us are afraid of this virus that we can't even see. We are afraid of what this virus can cause and that's death. But I want you to listen to what it says in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Did you get that? There is something deep within us that makes us slaves to the fear of dying. It's a part of our DNA. We are born with that fear and we carry it with us through life. And many of us feel that today more than we have in a long, long, long time. I mean, death is this cloud that is always hanging over us, but most days we do a good job of ignoring that cloud. We normally do a good job of not thinking about death, especially when we're young. But now we can't turn on the TV. We can't go on Facebook or Instagram without being confronted with the frailty of human life without being bombarded with the reality that that no matter matter how healthy we are or how young we may be, ultimately, we don't have the power to control death. And man, that is a scary thought. But Jesus came to break the chains of death. And He came to break the chains of the fear of death. And the way He did that is through dying on the cross and coming back to life. He was showing us that death is not the end. It is the beginning of eternity. And death doesn't have to be this great divide. For Christians, death is ultimately a great uniter 
unites us with Christ and those we love forever. Nathan and Laurie and each of us who have lost loved ones who are in Christ have the hope that we will see them again. You see, death isn't this great divide. It's only a temporary separation. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, death is not final. Death does not win. Jesus defeated death. And just as he rose from death, he promises that you and I will rise from death and we will have new bodies that can never die. This is the hope. This is the promise of Christianity. Our promise isn't in eternity floating as some bodiless soul, but a physical resurrection in new bodies that will never decay, that will never die. We can learn to face death without fear because death doesn't have the final word in our story. Eternal life does. So write this down. This is an important truth. Because of the resurrection, our deepest fears can be turned into our greatest joys. Amen? Because of the resurrection, our deepest fears, death, can be turned into our greatest joy. Death doesn't have to be something we are afraid of. It can be something we even look forward to as we look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. But let's move on. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus' disciples meet him in Galilee. And when they do, they worship him. But notice, some of the disciples doubted. Now this word for doubt is different than the word used to describe Thomas in John 20. That word used to describe Thomas means to not believe. But this word means to hesitate, to waver. This word is only used two times in the New Testament. It is used here and it's used in Matthew 14 when Peter walks on water and then he begins to look at the waves and he hears the sounds, and he begins to doubt, and he begins to sink. Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to struggle, and he begins to sink. He doubted. And that's what the Bible says here. It's not saying that these disciples didn't believe in Jesus. It's just saying that they still wavered. They still struggled. They knew that Jesus was alive. They knew that he overcame death, but they struggled with how that was going to affect them. What were they supposed to do? I want you to listen. You can love Jesus. You can trust him with your life, and you can still struggle with questions. 
you can still struggle with fears. So what are you supposed to do? Here's what. You're supposed to realize that life is not about you. Your life is about accomplishing the purpose God created you for. Write this down. Because of our resurrection, our darkest days can result in our purpose for life. These disciples had followed Jesus for for three years. They had left everything behind. Now, what were they supposed to do? Were they going to go back to fishing? Were they going to go back to collecting taxes? Were they supposed to go back to what they did before Jesus came into their lives? Or did Jesus have another plan? Did Jesus have another purpose? You see... If your life is about your comfort, about your convenience, then times like these will turn your life upside down. But if your life has another purpose, something greater than you, then whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, you adjust to accomplish the mission. Jesus told his disciples, I'm giving you a mission. I'm giving you a purpose that will trump everything else you do. Go and make disciples. Tell the world about me and what I've done. And then teach them everything I taught you. And then after you do that, repeat it over and over again. That's what they were to do. And that's what you and I are to do. Each and every one of us who experienced His resurrected power. That's what the early church did. In the third century, Western civilization was devastated by one of its deadliest pandemics in human history. Though the exact cause of the plague is uncertain, the city of Rome was said to have lost an estimated 5,000 people a day at the height of this outbreak. Among them were two Roman emperors. And the effects of this pandemic didn't just affect Rome, it affected the entire empire. One sociologist writes that as many as two-thirds of the population of Alexandria, Egypt, died. And and what did the church do? The church exploded. Cyprian, who was a Christian leader at the time, told Christians to not worry about other Christians who had died from the plague. They were in heaven. But to double their efforts to care for the hurting. Then he said it was only the non-Christians that have anything to fear. Listen. Because of the resurrection, our purpose hasn't changed. It's to love those around us, minister to their needs, and tell them about the hope that we have in Jesus that goes beyond this world. And when we do that, we cannot fail. So let me ask you a question. Who are you ministering to? Who are you telling about the hope that you have in Christ? Now, I want you to notice one final thing. Uh, Something about fear and the message that Jesus gave to his disciples about fear. The message that the angel gave, the message that Jesus gave to these women, to his disciples to fear not, he didn't give to the guards who were guarding the tomb. Have you ever wondered why? Let me tell you why. The reason is because they didn't know him. They had something to fear. Listen to what Jesus said a little bit earlier. He said, I 
tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, He's the one you should fear. Now many of us don't like to hear words like that, especially when they come from the mouth of Jesus. But the Bible makes it clear that God is not only a God of mercy and love, God is a God of justice and righteousness, and, and one day He will make everything right. These men, these guards, they had rejected Jesus. They had refused to believe. And they had every right to fear. Please listen. This is so important. There are some of you, perhaps many of you, who are walking through life without a care in the world. You've chased the American dream and you've even thrown in a little Jesus for good measure. When someone asks you to, you send them prayers and good vibes. This week, you've you've probably even posted some cute pictures about Easter and Jesus on social media. But if the truth is revealed and you're honest, you would have to admit that your life is really no different than your neighbor who is a Hindu, a, a Muslim, or an atheist. But one day, someday, you're going to face your greatest fear. You're going to step into eternity and you're going to stand before a holy God unprepared. A God who sent His Son to die in your place. A God who at every turn has shown you mercy and grace. A God who created you and loves you and longs to have a relationship with you. A God who deserves our greatest praise and our complete loyalty. And so listen, if you're listening and you haven't surrendered your life to the one who came out of the grave, then I'm telling you to fear him and let that fear drive you to your knees and cause you to humble yourself before him. And when you get up, you will hear him say, Fear not, I have overcome sin and death for you. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, but you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to Him right now. Dear God, I humbly come before you this morning asking you to forgive all my sins. I've lived life my way. I've been my own boss. Please forgive me. I believe, Jesus, you came to this earth. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. Today I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Come into my heart and take control. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen.